Welcome to the Droma Preventative Health Podcast, hosted by the Jewish Orthodox Women's Medical Association. We provide you with up-to-date information on health topics geared towards the Orthodox Jewish community. This podcast content is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended as medical advice or as a substitute for the medical advice of a physician. Welcome to the Jewish Orthodox Women's Medical Association, or JOMA, podcast. I'm your host, Elisa Minkin. I am a general pediatrician and proud JOMA member, and I'm really honored and really excited to be here today with Dr. Esther Fogel. Hi. Hi. Thank you so much for doing this with me. So Dr. Esther Fogel is a clinical audiologist. She is the owner and director of Comprehensive Audiology in Lindbrook, New York. She received a master's degree in speech-language pathology from the University of North Texas and a doctorate in audiology from the Graduate Center of the City University of New York. She completed her residency in audiology at the Long Island Jewish Medical Center's Hearing and Speech Center. She is a fellow of the American Academy of Audiology and a member of the American Speech and Hearing Association. Dr. Fogel's areas of expertise include diagnostic audiological evaluations, hearing aid fittings, auditory brainstem response evaluations, cochlear implant evaluations and mapping, and fitting of custom hearing protection. Dr. Fogel's mission is to provide a comprehensive approach to her patient's hearing health care. In her practice, Dr. Fogel assesses each patient individually using the latest state-of-the-art diagnostic tools and presents a personalized rehabilitation plan to fit each patient's needs. So that's amazing. And it's really impressive that you have training in both speech and language and audiology. Correct. So that um, gives me uh, an aspect of dealing with my patients, not just from an audiological and fitting of hearing aids, but how it affects their overall daily communication and speech, whether it be for children or adults. So I really get the full view and of each patient's needs. It's amazing. And what ages do you um, care for patients? So I see patients across the lifespan from children all the way up to adults and elderly. Wow. Mm-hmm. So I did talk a little bit about hearing loss in young children in a um, talk with Dr. Catherine Geller, who is a pediatric ENT called Now Hear This. This is mm-hmm. when I hear you. <laughs> running out of titles. <laughs> um, but it's a really important topic, you know, and I really barely grazed the surface. But I think we're going to probably end up focusing more on adults because I'm a pediatrician and I, <laughs> I always talk about children, but I need to talk about other people. So I'm going to give you a chance to start with prevention because that's, you know, really one of the goals of this, of this podcast series is prevention. So what can you tell us about preventing hearing loss? Because it can be prevented. Yes. So uh, noise-induced hearing loss is the type of hearing loss that can be prevented. Now, noise-induced hearing loss is permanent and irreversible. So it's important that we take the steps to protect our hearing And I know you were interested specifically about um, events such as weddings, bar mitzvahs, and all types of loud events such as that. And uh, it's important that either if you're the host of the event to ask the band to lower the volume Mm. a little bit, but if you are a guest to either wear hearing protection or stay far away from the speakers. Um, But besides for those type of loud events, um, day to day, certain people uh, through their profession are exposed to loud noise. So 
whether it be dentists with their dental equipment, musicians who work obviously with loud music, contractors who work around loud equipment, any, anybody who is exposed to loud noise should wear hearing protection. Uh, we also have to protect our ears from water. So if you're a type of person who likes to swim or surf or go in the ocean, wearing swim plugs is very important. So you don't develop any type of ear disease from the cold water. Um, and we do make custom earplugs to fit the needs of anybody who needs to protect their ears, uh, whether it be for musicians, dentists, swimmers. And we make them custom made now using a 3D scanner of the ear. We no longer use the silicone impressions. We have a 3D uh, scanner, like a little camera that goes in the ear that maps the ear. And we can um, build any type of custom hearing protection or earplugs for your ears. That is really cool. How does water damage the ear? Um, so... For some people, it's a matter of comfort. They don't like to get water in their ears. But the cold water, specifically mm-hmm. ocean water, can cause what we, swimmer's ear exostoses, um, growth in the, in the ear canal. And for children, if they have tubes in their ears, they're not supposed to get water in their ears. So we can right. make them earplugs as well. Right, but the cold water itself intrinsically damages hearing? Is that um, no, it can just damage, and it can cause damage to the ear canal, like an, an external ear canal. Oh, an external ear yeah. infection. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. So who should get a hearing test and when should they get a hearing test? Okay. So let's first talk about uh, the pediatrics, then we'll move to adults. Okay. So for pediatrics, uh, they should have a routine hearing screening on a regular basis, starting from the newborn hearing screening and then at different stages before they start school. Usually that's done in the pediatrician's office. Each pediatrician's mm-hmm. office uses a different type of screener, an OAE screener, a pure tone screener. Um, and if they fail that screening, they should be referred for further evaluation. But aside from that, children who may be at risk for hearing loss. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. I just want to go back a little bit and, and tell us the difference between those hearing tests and what could cause them to be um, inaccurate. Okay. This happens so, all the time in pediatrics. We do do screening and we do get kids who fail, but they have no hearing problems. Correct. So um, the OAE screener does not need the child's participation, but it is, um, if there's noise in the room, it can be inaccurate. If the equipment's not calibrated, it can be inaccurate. And the pure tone screener um, involves the pa- the child responding to you. So with any uh, pediatric that depends on the mood of the child. So um, if if the pediatrician is concerned, they can try to repeat the screening a few days later. And if the child doesn't pass, they should be referred for a full audiological evaluation, even if it's just to rule it out. Um, because hearing loss can have long-term effect on speech and language. Right. So it is important to just make sure that their hearing is fine. Right. Um, on top of that, any child who may be at risk for hearing loss, uh, if they have a speech and language delay at poor academic performance, we should always perform a fully audiological evaluation to rule out hearing loss. If they have history of ear infections, enlarged tonsils, adenoids, then they need a hearing test to rule out any type of conductive hearing loss, um, which even though may be a different type of treatment, but can also cause long-term speech and language effects if they're not treated properly. Right. One thing I hear a lot of parents say when I bring this up is, but I'm sure they hear fine. I called them and they turn or something like that. Like the parents are convinced that they don't need to worry about that. Um, so there are different types and degrees of hearing mm-hmm. loss. So a child who maybe might have a more mild hearing loss uh, may respond sometimes or may respond if you're calling them loudly. But they, if even with a mild hearing loss or even just with a conductive hearing loss that's not treated, um, that 
can affect them. They're, you know, children are learning their speech and language. So if they're not hearing everything properly, they're not going to develop their speech and language properly. And then that may affect them in school, socially. So it's important to identify that and discuss treatment options. Mm-hmm. And what's the difference between a sensory and a conductive loss? Can you explain what those are? Sure. So a sensory neural hearing loss um, is a hearing loss that is a more permanent type of hearing loss. And the issue there is usually in the inner ear or the cochlea or the hearing nerve. Uh, That type of hearing loss is usually treated with hearing aids and the like, which I think we'll discuss later in our talk. Mm -hmm. And a conductive hearing loss, um, the hearing loss, the root of the hearing loss is either in the external or the middle ear. So that can be something as simple as wax. That could Mm -hmm. be something um, like fluid in the ears that may be needed to be treated with tubes. It can be something more uh, complicated, such as cholesteatoma, something anatomical. Um, But with that, we first would defer to our colleagues, the otolaryngologist and ENT, uh, to rule out any medical issue to be treated. Uh, And if it's not treated medically, then we talk about hearing aids. Right. And another question parents ask is, well, they had a hearing test as a baby and they passed. So why would I worry about a hearing loss? Okay. So um, the newborn hearing screening is very important to identify any congenital uh, hearing loss, but there are types of hearing loss that we call delayed onset that can, um, a child can develop hearing loss later at at one years old, two years old, three years old, whenever it is. So uh, that is a possibility. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to allow you to move on to adults in just a minute, but I I do have another question brought up by a friend of mine who actually um, specializes in um, sign language and hearing loss. And she said some people will pass their hearing test, but they really still struggle in noisy environments. And are you talking about children or adults? I think she was talking about adults. I mean, I don't want to go down the, the, the rabbit hole of auditory processing, which is not the Correct. same thing as hearing loss, but I don't think she was referring to auditory processing. In other words, when you don't know how to interpret the sounds that you can actually hear. She said some people, when it's a very perfect, pristine environment, they're, they're passing, but they have some kind of impairment. Okay. So uh, yeah, when we talk about adults, we can talk about that in more detail, but, okay. um, but you know, having difficulty hearing in background noise um, can either be a sign of early stages of actual hearing loss, like high frequency hearing loss, or mm-hmm. it can be its its own separate thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we do test that. Okay. So let's talk about the tests you do. I mean, like we talked a little bit about the test that could be done in a doctor's office. I presume you have more extensive testing. Correct. So um, let's talk about for a minute, uh, which adults should get tested and then we'll get into the the testing. Um, So adults, um, any adult over the age of 55 should probably have a baseline hearing test Mm -hmm. um, just to get a baseline, see where they're at. Um, But hearing loss can occur at any age, uh, even in a young adult for various reasons. So if you're experiencing any signs or symptoms of hearing loss, such as difficulty understanding conversation, or as you said, difficulty hearing when there's background noise, Mm -hmm. People seem to be mumbling, um, maybe difficulty hearing from a distance, trouble hearing high frequency sounds such as uh, uh, women's voices, children's voices. If you have ringing in the ears, vertigo, anything like that, you should come in for testing. So what does the testing involve? (laughs) So we do um, a full audiological evaluation, which includes the standard hearing test where you listen to different pure what we call tones or beeps of different pitches of sound to see 
what level you're able to hear. We also um, have you repeat words and sentences to see your comprehension or processing of the sound, which is the most important. And we also um, do a couple of testing that test the anatomy of the ear. We do what's called acoustic emittance or tympanometry, most commonly known to look at the eardrum movement. We do acoustic reflexes to, uh, to rule out any medical involvement as well. We do something called otoacoustic emissions, which looks at the, the inner ear. So based on all of the results of all the different types of tests, we can determine what type of hearing loss it is and what the treatment options may be. Now for children, which I know you're particularly interested, um, depending on the age, not every child can do this full hearing test. So obviously with an adult, we know, you know, you hear the beep, you raise your hand, you press a button, but depending on the age of the child, that's not an appropriate test. So for young children, we do something called VRA, which is um, their speakers and in the, sound booths with sounds coming out, we're talking to them, singing to them, and there are lights turning on to try to train them to turn to the sound. It's basically classical conditioning type of testing. Mm -hmm. For older children, we do what's called play audiometry, where they have a type of game that they, when they listen to the sounds, they either put the peg on the board or put a block in a box or something like that. So we um, gear the testing for the age of the patient. Awesome. Okay. So Let's move on to um, some common problems that we're actually hearing more of lately. I don't know if you're hearing more about people having tinnitus or ringing in the ears. Yeah, so um, tinnitus is a very common complaint. Um, usually it is a symptom or a side effect of hearing loss, um, any type of hearing loss, but particularly noise-induced hearing loss. So you may have experience where you go to a loud concert or a loud event and you come out and your ears are ringing and then it goes away. Um, you feel like you can't hear, then it goes away. But over time, that can become more permanent. But any type of hearing loss can be associated uh, with ringing in the ears. And the ringing in the ears tends to get uh, worse in certain conditions, if you're tired, if you're stressed. So if you do experience tinnitus, the first step is to have a hearing test. And then we could find some solutions for you. What are some solutions for it? So um, unfortunately, there is no cure mm -hmm. for tinnitus. So um, if, if a person actually has hearing loss, then we're able to manage the ringing and the tinnitus as well with hearing aids. Um, if it's just the tinnitus, um, then there are certain types of, you know, maskers, masking noise that we can recommend to try to mask out the tinnitus. If it's very bad, uh, if it really causes the person a lot of anxiety or distress, sometimes we do refer them out for um, therapy, such as cognitive behavioral therapy to try to manage the tinnitus. Mm -hmm. Do we know what causes it? Um, I think that's debatable. And, mm -hmm. <laughs> but what we do know is that um, whenever there's, uh, one of my professors said this when I was in school, is when there's any type of damage to the ear, whether it be a sensory neural hearing loss, whether it be your ears are just congested or anything like that, um, usually that can cause the tinnitus. I don't think anybody knows exactly where it comes from or why it happens. But maybe like a post-viral phenomenon, possibly? Um, well, yeah, uh, any type of virus that can cause a sudden hearing loss or hearing loss can also cause the ringing. Mm -hmm. so, are there specific viruses known for that? I mean, I'm hearing it more after COVID. COVID does everything, yeah. apparently. 
Yeah. So um, any type of virus. So um, there is something uh, that's called sudden sensory neural hearing loss or mm-hmm. sudden hearing loss, which we were going to talk about, but yep. that is usually viral. Um, and that is considered an emergency situation. If you wake up one day and you feel like you're not hearing out of one ear, you know, don't wait, <laughs> call an audiologist, call an ENT or call your uh, primary care to refer you out. But um, so it could be any type of viral infection. It could be from a cold. It could be um, so COVID is a virus like any other virus. Right. And uh, we are seeing, um, people that have hearing loss and tinnitus following COVID. Right. Um, I know some people have brought it up after the vaccine, the COVID vaccine as well. I don't think, I think that it's anecdotal. I don't know if there's any um, enough evidence yet to say that the vaccine can cause hearing loss. Right. I don't, I don't think um, that there is. I, I, you know, I think that the problem is that something that happens commonly, you know, we're do- giving the vaccine to like, the whole world. Correct. And this is not an uncommon problem. I don't know if you know the incidence off the top of your head of tinnitus. Um, I'm guessing it's not uncommon. Um, I don't have the numbers in front of me, yeah. but it is very common. Right. Um, it, you know, so, um, yeah, it, I think from the vaccine that is anecdotal, um, but there is evidence following the COVID virus itself right. um, that there is documented hearing loss and tinnitus. Um, right, right. And and I know that they've studied um, the COVID vaccine related to sudden um, unilateral hearing loss and have not found a connection, even though it's also been reported. Because again, it's not terribly uncommon. We can move on to the sudden hearing loss. I, I don't think it's terribly uncommon. I know someone it happened to. You know, and originally Um, they blamed the vaccine until, you know, I showed them very good data that it's not connected. Yes. I also had someone in my office about a week after she had the vaccine. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, I, you know, there's no evidence to say that it was from the vaccine because, um, you know, working in an audiology practice or, you know, I work closely with ENT practices. So we see sudden hearing loss quite often. Um, You know, a person can wake up one day for whatever reason and have a hearing loss in one year. And so... Um, you know, the ENTs will give them some sort of cocktail of different medications, you know, usually prednisone or possibly some type of antibiotics. And we hope that it gets better and it improves. Sometimes, unfortunately, it doesn't. And then we treat that hearing loss. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But right. if there is any chance of it getting better, it's within, you know, the first 24, 48 hours. So that's why I'm saying it's considered an emergency situation. You know, if that happens, you know, don't wait a week, go to the doctor right away. Right, it's maybe like a post-infectious kind of autoimmune kind of phenomenon. Do we know? I think it's more viral than autoimmune. So the virus itself. Yeah. It? Wow. Yeah. Wow. So I can, And that I, can affect the hearing nerve and the vestibular wow. nerve. So that's why sometimes people will wake up feeling um, uh, clogged in the ear like they're not hearing, as well as possibly some type of vertigo or dizziness because the hearing nerve and the vestibular nerve are very close to each other. So the virus can attack both at the same time. So you might wake up, you know, not hearing well, having ringing in the ear and dizzy, and that's usually a sign. Wow. Wow. You should also go to your primary carrier or an ENT as well as an audiologist. Well, correct. Yes. So whoever you can get to first. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Because as an audiologist, I can do the hearing test, but then I still will have to refer onwards to the ENT or the primary care to prescribe the medication. Right. So, yeah. Right. But I just want to point out that the way we know that something is not connected to something else 
with the amount of information we have is to look at the base rate, you know, and it's not an uncommon problem and compare it to people who've been vaccinated to people who have not. And there is no increase there um, from Correct. this particular thing. Like we, we know that, you know, you can have a sore arm. I mean, obviously it's the most obvious thing, but there are some other things um, that are associated, right? You have increased risk of allergic reaction, for example. We know clearly, I'm just giving obvious examples, um, but they have actually done studies, large studies where they, they know that it's not above the base rate. So people should not falsely attribute Correct. Correct. So while this is not a podcast about, you know, the COVID vaccines, but it right. is uh, the rate of, you know, hearing loss and tinnitus is much higher following COVID itself than following right. the COVID vaccine. Right. So we'll leave it at that for now. I just don't want to leave doubt. And it's, it's, it's something that's been discussed. <laughs> and I think it's really important to discuss any concern if someone says, hey, I heard that, that we should discuss it. Um, and these are not uncommon problems, both sudden hearing loss and, and Correct. Tinnitus. Correct. Okay, so let's talk about why not just go to Costco to get your hearing aid. <laughs> okay, or order it online or over the counter or anything right. like that. Um, and it's important. I mean, I'm not here to advertise anybody. I always say that. Um, but my same friend, the, the hearing, the sign language interpreter said, make sure you talk about this. It's important. Yes, please. Okay. So while there might be a place for an over-the-counter device, and just to make it clear that the over-the-counter devices at right now are not hearing aids, they are, are personal sound amplifiers. Mm-hmm. So they're just raising the volume a little bit. So that's different than a hearing aid. Um, now, why should you see an audiologist or an ENT? Because um, like any medical condition, um, you want to be checked out by a doctor. You want to have a full evaluation. You want someone to look in your ears. Um, you want to rule out any medical conditions. And you want to know what type and degree of hearing loss you have. I mean, the over-the-counter devices are just set at a certain level, and it's not appropriate for every person or every type of hearing loss. Um, but just as important um, is the fact of getting the personalized attention and care from an audiologist, from, um, from a doctor. So, um, you know, it's more than just the device itself. It's what we call in audiology, the hearing journey. So we really get to know each person, what their communication needs are. Is the hearing loss affecting them at home with their family? Is it affecting them at work? Most people are very hesitant to come in for a hearing test, as I'm sure you know. Um, the, the statistics are that on average, a person waits about seven to 10 years to go for the first hearing test oh. from when they first notice they have some trouble. Wow. So um, that's part of what we do here, you know, and in a private practice in my practice, I take the time to address each person's concerns about, you know, their hearing and their, their needs. And after we discuss all of that, we can get to the treatment and what type of solutions it is, whether it be a hearing aid or whether it be something else. Um, so you don't get that going to Costco or buying something online or over the counter. Right. I think about it as sort of like the equivalent of reading glasses, you know, if Correct. you just it's, need it's a, a little bit of you know, close sight, you know, vision for reading. And that's the only slight problem you have. You have a very slight, you know, very mild, mild hearing loss. That amplification might be all you need, but. Correct. Correct. So, I mean, the FDA criteria, you know, for the physicians out there are um, these over, at least the devices that are out there right now, they are meant for someone who has a perceived mild to moderate hearing loss. Mm -hmm. So, 
we don't know what it is. It means, like you said, someone feels they have a little bit of difficulty, nothing else that might be a good starter device. But for most people, you know, they may have a more, either a more severe hearing loss, or they may have a medical condition that needs to be checked out by a doctor before they get prescribed a hearing aid. Right. And I mean, all of these conditions are are gradual and you don't notice, right? When you're living day to day, you don't notice a slight change to a slight change to a slight change. Correct. Correct. So what does that do to someone who is experiencing a hearing loss that they are not properly being treated for? Sure. So um, we do know um, that hearing loss uh, can affect a person's overall health. So from many aspects, um, starting from something physically, such as a person with hearing loss can be more at risk for falls or something like that. But also socially and emotionally, people who have hearing loss tend to become more isolated. They don't want to go out to socialize because they don't, they can't follow the conversation. And the biggest topic now that's being researched is how hearing loss affects adults cognitively, how it affects their brain performance, their cognitive performance. So we know that untreated hearing loss is linked to further cognitive decline. Because what happens is a person with hearing loss um, has to exert a lot more effort to hear. Uh, They're using their brain power just to hear. And the opposite, if someone has cognitive decline, um, they may not be able to focus as well to hear. So um, there's a lot of research out there right now, um, you know, studying adults from an early age, and we're not talking about the elderly, we're talking about people, like we said, in the 50s and older, even people with mild hearing loss, it can start to affect their cognitive performance. And something interesting now uh, that I'm starting to use in my office and many audiologists are using, we are incorporating a cognitive screening into our audiological battery of testing. Um, So I use a device called the Cognitive Youth Thrive, which was not developed for audiologists. It was developed to be used in different fields. It's, it is purely a screening. I am not a neurologist. I cannot right. diagnose any cognitive decline, but we do incorporate that into our battery of testing. So it is important um, not to wait till mm-hmm. the hearing loss gets too bad or, uh, you know, at an early age, if you notice anything to come in right away and do a baseline testing. How would you know that you're seeing a decline from one test? Are you following them over time? So yeah, any, any person who comes in for their testing, we do recommend um, if their hearing is normal, you know, I set a certain amount of time when I think they should come back, but if they have any type of hearing loss, even very mild, I do see them on a yearly basis to follow their hearing. Um, um, and if not, or I tell them if they notice a more severe decline, they should come right in. Back to having trouble hearing in a noisy environment, mm-hmm. would that be also potentially a sign of gradual hearing loss? Yes. So the most common uh, complaint um, in beginning stages of hearing loss is hearing in a noisy situation. Because if you have mild hearing loss, you could probably hear fine if it's quiet and someone's facing you and there's no distractions. Um, The most common, not the only type of hearing loss, but the most common hearing loss due to aging and noise exposure is a high frequency hearing loss. Um, And the high frequency sounds is what allows the brain to filter out uh, what it wants to hear, speech and conversation from the background noise. It also helps the brain localize which direction sounds are coming from. So when a person starts to have even mild hearing loss, they can start to feel it first in a noisy situation. So 
we say come in if you're experiencing those symptoms. Right. I have to go back into the rabbit hole of auditory processing for a minute. Sure. <laughs> Anybody who has auditory processing probably may be thinking, but I have that all the time, right? Because people who have trouble with processing, you know, language, not processing language, but processing speech, right? Um, may have trouble, you know, distinguishing different strains, right? Like what people are saying in the background. And that's not a hearing problem. Correct. So, yeah. So just to define again, what auditory processing is, and Mm -hmm. that's applies to children and adults. Mm -hmm. So, um, so for children, because I get a lot of calls to my office about auditory processing. So in auditory processing, um, we have determined first that it is, um, it is not a peripheral auditory problem, meaning that their hearing is normal. Mm -hmm. So if their physical anatomical hearing is normal, then they have a normal hearing test, but they're still having trouble processing auditory, auditory stimulation, speech, and all of that. They may have an auditory processing um, disorder and there is specific testing for that. Um, But if a person has hearing loss, (laughs) they don't have auditory processing disorder. They have hearing loss, which, you know, they obviously have difficulty processing sound. Um, So for children, we, um, audiologists can do an auditory processing evaluation to determine if that's what the the issue is. For adults, um, some adults can have auditory processing that they had as children that were never diagnosed. And um, there's something now that they're, they're labeling hidden hearing loss which probably similar <laughs> to auditory processing where, you know, you do a hearing test and everything's normal, but you're still having trouble in background noise. Um, but that, you know, so for adults, there's different solutions than for, for children. I mean, for children, we have to worry about them in the classroom and, um, you know, we would recommend them sitting close to the teacher using an FM system, something like that to help. Just, just, just to let people know an FM system is where the teacher's um, words are piped right into a little like um, ear piece for the child. Correct. Yeah. So it's not a hearing aid. It doesn't provide amplification, but it helps to overcome the noise in the classroom and the distance. So yeah, the teacher's wearing a little microphone and the child is either wearing a little earpiece on their ear or a little speaker on the desk in front of them so that the teacher's voice is right in front of them and less distraction. Right. They don't have to filter it through the other classroom sounds. Correct. Correct. So, so I'm just wondering, maybe what's happening is in some people or children, they don't pick up a mild hearing loss. Um, and maybe it gets worse or maybe it interacts with the processing or in adults, maybe they always had a processing problem that they compensated for. And then they had hearing loss as they got older and they could no longer compensate. Correct. Correct. Do you but test also, for auditory processing? I'm sorry. Do you test for auditory um, processing? I do not do that in my office, but mm-hmm. I do have a list of audiologists okay, that great. I refer to. Yes. That is not my specialty, but I do have a list of people to refer to. Right. Right. I think it's more relevant for, for kids than adults in terms Correct. of what you can do about it. You know, there are some various retraining programs. I don't know if they're, they're really evidence-based. <laughs> I don't know if people are still doing though. There was a fast forward program where you spend a lot of time. Yes. Some, um, you know, I think the, the point of getting a diagnosis for a child is that they get the proper um, uh, therapy or, you know, solutions in school. Right. So whether it be using an FM system or whether it be them having, um, you know, a private teacher, maybe pre-teaching them before the class. Um, so to give them a heads up, you know, and getting that um, and their IEP or whatever they need for right. school to make sure they get the proper help because that child um, can do well academically with the proper right. support. 
Right. But I think for adults, you know, if they've been doing well all along and now they're having trouble in noise, it might just be that they always had auditory um, processing and now they have some degree of hearing loss, but for them, maybe it throws them over the edge. Right. It might be, um, you know, like I said, there is, this is new research into what we call hidden hearing loss for adults, which is their audiogram is normal, but they're having trouble in background noise. And they're, we're still trying to determine what the cause is. It can be, you know, beginning stages of hearing loss where the little hair cells and the cochlea are starting to be affected first before we see it on the audiogram. So it's still uh, not fully known, but it is a phenomenon that we're researching right now. And that's why part of the testing that I do, besides for doing the hearing test, is a speech and noise testing for adults. So, um, you know, we play it through the speaker and um, it simulates like what we call a cocktail party effect where there's a lot of people talking in the background and then one person says a sentence or, or a word, and you have to repeat that. And, um, and we see how the person does on that test. So th- that tells us a lot about how a person can process sound. And, and as I mentioned before, that we're doing the cognitive screening. Um, it's interesting as I'm doing the testing to see the association. So people who may have difficulty with speech and noise may also or scorely on the cognitive testing. So it's it's all related, which is <laughs> right. the bottom line is that it's all related and hearing loss can affect you really overall. So it, it is an important um, thing to get tested. Right. This, this hidden hearing loss is, is, is very interesting. I've never heard of it. What do you do if we don't really understand it and their hearing test is normal? How do you help them? Um, so for each person is different depending on, uh, where it's affecting them. So I've had people like at work, for example, um, you know, they need to be at a busy conference meeting or, uh, I've had lawyers where they need to hear in the courtroom or whatever it is. So, um, there are devices similar to the FM units that are used for children, but we have different, um, well, FM units or what we call remote microphones for adults. So they can wear something and um, give the microphone to the person who's speaking at the meeting, or there's now a table microphone that can pick up people's voices around a table. So it really depends how much it's affecting their daily life and in which situations we're able to help them. That, that is absolutely fascinating. That really is so interesting. And the bottom line is function. So you help people function even with this problem that we don't fully understand. So that's awesome. Right. Okay. So we actually have time to go back to the kids, which is my comfort zone. Okay, that's fine. (laughs) And talk about treatment of children with hearing loss, which I did not cover really with Dr. Geller. Okay. So um, most importantly, which I think you did uh, cover with Dr. Geller, is the early detection, which then leads to early treatment. So Mm -hmm. just to recap uh, quickly, every baby should have a newborn hearing screening. Okay. Um, It's just a screening, like any screening. So um, if they fail the screening, they need to follow up. So yeah, sometimes it's just fluid in the ear, but sometimes it is actually hearing loss. So the criteria or what we call best practices is they should have their follow-up screening by age one month. They should have a full diagnostic testing by age three months, which for babies is usually an ABR, auditory brainstem response testing. Um, and if if we find that they have hearing loss, they should be fitted with hearing aids or any type of treatment by age six months. Okay. Can, can we go back for just a minute and explain what yeah. an ABR is? In the newborn nursery, sure. they use what technology, first of all? So in the newborn nursery, well, it's going to differ 
from hospital to hospital. But the Mm -hmm. most common is that in a well baby regular nursery, they use something called an OAE screening, Mm -hmm. autoacoustic emissions. Um, Babies that might be at higher risk for other neurological disorders or maybe um, were in the NICU for whatever reason, born early or have other medical conditions, we do the ABR testing because that tests all the way up to the auditory nerve. So they would do an ABR screening. Auditory brain stem response. Correct. Um, So how that's, so if they fail either of those screenings, the full diagnostic test for a baby is something called an ABR evaluation Mm -hmm. or diagnostic evaluation. What we do um, is we place electrodes on the baby's foreheads and behind the ears, little earphones in the ears, and we present sounds and we can measure the brainstem's response to those sounds and determine if they're hearing in the normal range or if they have hearing loss. Um, Obviously a baby can't raise their hand and tell us when they're hearing. So we need to do it that way. Um, If we do find that they have a sensory neural hearing loss, then the treatment um, would be hearing aids or cochlear implants, which I know you wanted to discuss the difference, but we want to do that by six months. Go ahead. I just want to go back just a minute, just make sure it's clear. So when you do the ABR, you are just testing for sensory neural. You're not testing for conductive, are you? Uh, we can. So the ABR can help us determine it, what type of hearing loss it is. So we do, we can do a bone conduction ABR similar to ah, bone conduction yeah. testing. So once we determine, you know, if the ABR is normal, it's normal. If we define hearing loss, then we go on to the bone conduction portion and we can determine if it's conductive. So even a, a baby can have fluid in the ears or something else. Mm-hmm. And obviously then we need to, to deal with the medical aspect. But I think you're asking more about a child who has sensory neural hearing loss. I, th- right. I think that's what you were asking. Right. Um, but that's, so that's, we want to make sure. That, yeah. So we want to make sure to fit that baby by the age of six months. That's the gold standard because um, babies are hearing from the day they're born and they're learning their speech and language from the day they're born. So the earlier we fit them, the better chance at developing their speech and language they're going to have. Mm-hmm. Very, very good to know. Um, can kids acquire hearing loss? I mean, again, I always hear where they pass the newborn hearing screen. Yeah. So, um, so, uh, there is something called delayed onset hearing loss and that can be caused by different things that can be even a genetic cause. So if someone has a genetic hearing loss, it may be something that they're born with, or it may Mm -hmm. be a delayed onset type of gene. Um, there are also certain, um, childhood or infant viruses such as CMV or other viruses that um, can cause hearing loss right away or can cause hearing loss within a few months or a year afterwards. So like, you know, we discussed the babies that are high risk. Uh, Those babies, even if they pass their hearing screening, usually will get some sort of protocol to follow up in six months or a year to test their hearing later as well. Um, they're also children can develop hearing loss um, from other things. You know, they can develop conductive hearing loss. Um, they can ha- uh, have taken certain medications, certain strong antibiotics, or if a child needs chemotherapy or something like that, those types of medications can also cause hearing loss. So children can develop hearing loss at any point in their life for various reasons. Right. And I, and I know as a pediatrician, we follow a schedule of Correct. hearing tests at various periods. So you talked about a hearing aid, but we did not talk about a cochlear implant. Correct. Okay. Yes. Um, 
So uh, hearing aids and cochlear implants are a different type of devices to treat hearing loss. So a hearing aid is an acoustic device. Uh, you wear it in the ear, over the ear, but it sends sounds into the ear acoustically through the natural um, pathway of how we hear sounds. Um, now, for some people, a hearing aid is not enough. And that the criteria is different for children and adults. But let's say, you know, we're talking about children right now. So um, if a child's hearing loss um, is more severe, okay, severe, profound, um, we know that a hearing aid is not going to help them enough because it might help them detect sound, but maybe not understand all of those. So um, we are... Uh, doing cochlear implants in babies as young as a year, I think as young as nine months now, they're doing cochlear implants. Um, so a cochlear implant is a surgical procedure. It is a device. Um, it's an electrode array that's implanted into the cochlea and it bypasses the natural uh, pathway of the ear. It sends electrical stimulation directly to the hearing nerve and to the brain. So it's a different type of hearing, but for a child, especially, their brain um, adapts to it right away. And if it's done early and there are no other, you know, developmental delays, it's just this, then, you know, they can, they have the potential to develop speech and language, you know, normally. Um, and then for adults. So adults um, is interesting because um, for adults, it's usually... Postlingual meaning they already developed their speech and language, but they start to develop gradual hearing loss. So um, if a person's hearing loss is progressive, so it uh, gets worse and worse over time where they may have started out with hearing aids, but their hearing loss may get to a certain degree where hearing aids doesn't help them enough. And the way you would know that is when you're wearing hearing aids, but you're still having trouble hearing and understanding. That's the most important thing. If you're still having trouble understanding conversation, even with your hearing aids, um, you may be a candidate for um, another type of solution, which may be a cochlear implant. So that's something to discuss with your audiologist if you're having trouble even with your hearing aids. Right. Can you also have sudden bilateral hearing loss? Does that happen? Um, yes, I have seen that. Um, or it starts in one ear and then the other ear. Now, um, you know, we didn't discuss some of the other medical conditions associated with hearing loss. But, you know, besides for sudden lo hearing loss, there can be something like Meniere's disease or um, other types of hearing loss that are progressive over time and get worse and worse. And that can lead to a cochlear implant eventually. Right. And, and we also forgot to list the conditions that adults could be at risk for a more extensive hearing loss. I'll give you a chance to throw that in there now. Okay. <laughs> okay. So besides for just any adult that's over a certain age that should have a, a baseline hearing test, but um, certain medical conditions can put a person more at risk for hearing loss. And those include um, any cardiovascular disease, diabetes. Um, we know that blood flow uh, can affect the inner ear as well. So that can be risk for hearing loss. Um, kidney disease can also be um, a risk factor and um, any type of noise exposure like we discussed right. before and anybody that has vertigo or Meniere's disease, something like that um, can develop hearing loss over time. 
So if you have any of those medical conditions, you know, you're probably being sent for a whole array of testing, vision testing and all that, but hearing testing should be one of the testing. You know, it's important to know, but back to the cochlear implant. So adults can get those. Do they do as well as the kids? I mean, because I think people may not be aware that when you have a cochlear implant, it's not simply restoring your hearing. Um, So... There's, meant, there's factors that can affect, you know, how well a person does with a cochlear implant. So mm-hmm. the, the factors for an adult. So for a child, like we discussed, the earlier you do it, the better, mm-hmm. you know, the more potential you have for your speech and language development. But for an adult, um, it really depends on a few factors. Uh, one of them being how long you have had your hearing loss for. So, you know, is this a sudden hearing loss? And more importantly, um, during the time that you had the hearing loss, did you have stimulation to the hearing nerve? So, um, you know, did you wear hearing aids that whole time? So as it got worse and worse, you will do better with the cochlear implant because you were hearing over all of those years, your hearing nerve was stimulated. Um, So um, you would be, the prognosis would be better for somebody who wore hearing aids during the time that they had their Mm -hmm. their gradual hearing loss, Mm -hmm. which is very different from adults who um, were born with a severe to profound hearing loss or, you know, were deaf from a young age, maybe use sign language, maybe when they were children, cochlear implants was not available. And now they want to get a cochlear implant. So um, their prognosis is different. Their expectations should be different. Um, Many of those adults want the cochlear implants to be more aware of their surroundings, maybe for safety to pick up sounds, but we, they're not necessarily expected to all of a sudden be able to um, hear speech and understand speech if they were using sign language for the many years until now. So that's different than an an adult who had hearing and then lost their hearing. Right. But even for that person who had hearing and lost their hearing suddenly as an adult, would getting a cochlear implant just give them their hearing back? Yes. So it is a process. Mm -hmm. um, But if they do it pretty soon after they lost their hearing, um, they can gain up to 80 to 90% back of their speech recognition. Um, Again, as we discussed, the cochlear implant is a different type of sound than the hearing aids. Um, So uh, it can take a few months to get used to hearing that sound for the brain to get used to it. And we, we incorporate the sound slowly. We'll turn it on a lower volume and slowly increase, but yeah, they, they are able to, understand speech again in most cases. Right. The reason that I'm pointing this out is because, you know, somebody should not have the unrealistic expectation of, you know, there are these videos, you know, YouTube videos of yes. babies <laughs> who are getting their cochlear implants and it's turned on and like, wow, I mean, they're, they're insane, right? They're so moving. Um, but it, it, it's a process of, of learning how to interpret the sounds. It's not Correct. an instantaneous thing. I just want to make sure people understand that. Yes, it is a process. And anybody who is considering that, um, you know, you, you will have the support of the audiologist, support of the cochlear implant surgeon, and a whole team to walk them through the expectations and the process. And even speaking to other people who have had cochlear implants um, to find out what it was like. Right. Um, I want to talk just a f- for a few minutes, take more of your speech and language backgrounds and talk about speech learning in kids with hearing severe hearing impairments. Because um, we mentioned sign language, but we didn't talk about that. And I'm going to just allude briefly to the concept of deaf culture. There are some people that don't Correct. believe in, in 
restoring hearing or using cochlear implants. Um, they believe in using sign language and there's a whole deaf culture and that's sure. really outside the parameters of what we can do. And I'm really hoping to interview someone um, who is deaf yeah. to, to teach us about that. Yes. Yeah. So awareness. we won't go into details about that, but that is something that, you know, if a child is born with that degree of hearing loss. So that obviously is the first conversation that you have to have with the parents is which route they want to go. And if, if they belong to the deaf culture, then we, that is what they're going to do. And that is what we're going to respect. And if they don't want to do a cochlear implant, I mean, that's their language and that's their culture. So, you know, that's not my specialty. And I hope you will interview somebody because that is a whole other topic that needs right. to be discussed. It is. It's important. Um, it's very important. Um, and I, you know, I have dealt with, with families and patients and um, if that's what they choose, that's, you know, we, they may be fit with hearing aids, maybe not with cochlear implants and they will, their child will grow up with sign language. Um, but if we're talking about um, going, you know, to oral or spoken language, then, um, then now with cochlear implants that has opened up the um, opened us up to the fact that children hopefully that have a cochlear implant can start to hear much earlier in life and um, can develop their speech and language. Even, you know, in a regular classroom, they may not have to go to a special school, um, you know, for the hearing impaired. So, you know, they they would obviously need to work with a speech a pathologist and, you know, choose the type of therapy that they want to pursue um, to develop their speech and language. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I do want to make one point, though, or ask you about your opinion about this, that even if your child is going to be getting a cochlear implant, should they learn sign language as well? Um, so that depends on the family. So if, if, uh, and the school that they're going to attend. So if the family doesn't communicate with sign language, um, you know, who is going to teach them the sign language, if they're going to go to a school that teaches sign language, then, then yes. Um, but we, we monitor if the family wants them to be oral and just use spoken language, we have to monitor, you know, if there are some children, it's rare, but there are some children for whatever other developmental reasons may not develop their speech and language, even someone who doesn't have hearing loss. So then they may use sign language for those children. I'm going to put on a plug here because I feel like this has become so polarized, mm-hmm. right? It's either you're oral or, you know, you use sign language. Um, I have to say, as a pediatrician, a lot of my parents are teaching their kids sign language just as part of helping them communicate at an earlier age than they're they can actually right, speak regardless words. of hearing loss, maybe a child who has speech and language delay for some other reason, or just to help them communicate. Right? No, you not, using not children gestures. With problems. Right? Just, okay. Yeah, just gestures or sign language. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, I think some people are thinking, oh, if I teach my child sign, they won't speak, and and research shows the opposite that it helps them communicate. They're communicating from an earlier age than they would be by being able to say words clearly enough. And that's for children who are not developmentally delayed and children who are not um, with hearing loss. So to me, it, it's a call the Homer. That's how, how I look at it. And how much more so for kids who have hearing loss, why not teach them sign language? Because they have to wait anyway to get the cochlear implant. They're not getting it from birth. Correct. Um, to me, it's like learning two languages. 
from a young age. So, um, you know, you can be speaking to your child in English and Spanish. You can mm -hmm. be speaking to your child in English and Hebrew, and you can be communicating with your child in English and sign language. So they, you know, a child, a young child can pick up two languages at a time. Yes, they can. And that, that's also a myth that if you have two languages, your child will be speech delayed. That is completely not true. No. Number one. Um, but number two, the concern that I have, and again, this is my friend who made me bring this up, who was a sign ASL interpreter. Um, you know, she said it's really, really important um, for kids, even those who are getting a cochlear implant, to, to um, have that um, option of ASL, um, to have the sign language. And I, as a pediatrician, think so too, because kids are learning language from the earliest ages and while they're mm -hmm. waiting for that cochlear implant and they're not getting any sounds coming into their, to their ears. Well, they are getting sounds through a hearing aid. Usually we will fit them with hearing aids. I mean, it's not the same type of sound they'd be getting with a cochlear implant, but we always fit the babies, even that are planning to get a cochlear implant will wear the hearing aids right. till they get the cochlear implant. So at least they're getting some type of sound stimulation. Right. But I, I, I don't, you know, yes, that will help the nerve and help it develop. Correct. And help but you're talking about, I'm talking about language. You're talking I'm, about language. Correct. Yeah, Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So, yes. Um, now, you know, one of the important things to say is that um, a family who has a child with hearing loss, especially this severity of hearing loss that is planning to go for a cochlear implant, they, they, there's a, there's a whole support system out there. So it's the pediatrician, it's the audiologist, it's the implant surgeon, but even more important than what we do is their day-to-day -day, um, support for language. So whether it be a speech therapist or whether they get involved in an early childhood center, um, you know, there are schools, preschools out there that also have programs for infants. So, you know, a mommy and me type of program where they go and um, the parents are guided to how to help their children develop speech and language, you know, because even an hour of speech therapy is not enough, you know, someone needs to be communicating with the child all day. Um, so whether, you know, whether it be just speaking oral communication or sign language, you know, there needs to be a whole support system there for that family. Right. That, that's a really, really good point. Um, and it's a really good time to end. <laughs> um, <laughs> because you've given us a lot, a lot, a lot of information and I, I do hope to interview um, someone who is deaf um, to teach us more about deaf culture and, you know, that all the perspective that we were not able to do Correct. today. Yeah. Um, but this is really great information. I'm going to have you tell us where we can find you. Sure. Okay. So my office is located in Lindbrook, New York. And um, like I said, I see uh, patients of all ages from children up to adults. And you can find us by either calling the office. Um, do you want me to give the phone number? Sure. 516-387-4000. Sure. Or you can go on our website, which is comprehensiveaudiology.com. And we have a very easy scheduling system there. You can schedule an appointment online. Um, you can also email me and ask Amazing. me any questions that you have. Amazing. That is so awesome. Thank you so much for doing this with me. And thank you for hosting me today. Yes, and good job. You too. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Joma Preventative Health Podcast. If you've enjoyed this, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and share this with your friends. For more information, check out our Instagram at Joma underscore org. Check out our website, www.joma.org, that's J-O-W-M-A.org, or email us at health at joma.org.